The Blueprint for Maryland's Future, also known as the Curran Bill, is a massive education reform proposal currently being discussed by members of the Maryland General Assembly. The bill has five tenets. Improve access to early childhood education, training for teachers plus recruiting and retaining them, expanding college and career readiness, increase resources for special education, English as a second language, and impoverished students, and accountability mechanisms. To learn more about the current bills and the challenges in funding them, I spoke with two members of the Frederick County government and two of my colleagues about their blueprint. I'm Heather Mangilio, and this is Frederick Uncut. I'm joined now by two members of the Frederick County government involved in Kerwin and how the county will pay for it. So I'm Joy Schaefer. I was a former Board of Education member here in Frederick County, and I served for uh, three years and three months on the uh, Kerwin Commission, the Commission on um, Excellence and Innovation in um, Education, um, from which the blueprint legislation has come. And I'm currently um, a member of uh, the county executives team as the director of of, uh, government affairs and public policy. Okay, and I'm Frederick County Executive Jan Gardner, and I've been the county executive now for about five years. I'm in my second term. Education has always been a priority uh, for me personally, both on the uh, classroom side as well as on the school construction side. And this is a big year in Annapolis for education on both of those topics. Um, I have served on school construction uh, work groups uh, statewide uh, three times, the COP Commission back in 2002 to 2004, the NOT Commission, and then now the work group on facilities assessments. So education and what happens uh, this year uh, with the state legislation is really important to us. It's a generational uh, opportunity for funding formulas to be revised. All right. Perfect. So I guess there's two big questions, I think, on everyone's mind when we, they hear about the Blueprint Bill, or also known as the Curran Commission, is what is it going to do for Frederick, and what is it going to cost me as a Frederick resident? So let's start with what is it going to do for our schools? Right. So it's it's really transformational. Um, it we looked at, as the commission, the top performing school systems um, in the country and in the world. And uh, we had a consultant, the National Center for Economics and Education, and they found nine components that are present in all of these high-performing school systems. So we um, organized those into five building blocks that uh, we would support through policy development and um structuring the public financing around to create a funding formula. So it focuses on early childhood education, supporting our teachers and making sure that we have the best and the brightest in the classroom, Um, making sure that all students have access to career and college pathways that don't have any dead ends for them and offer a lot of opportunity and rigor, Um, and providing for our neediest learners. Uh, making sure that the kids that need support get more support. Um, And then accountability, which is really important since we're talking about increased funding, uh, that there are safeguards and an accountability board that's going to make sure that those dollars go where the law requires them to go in order to help the students that uh, we're targeting. All right. So, Joyce, the first part is I think people already say Frederick County schools are really great. Why do we need to improve them now? Because so since the Thornton funding, which was which is how we fund public education today, back in two thousand and one, was um, developed and then implemented, 
we have changed the way we um, deliver education, for one thing. Uh, we've increased the level of rigor and the performance standards that students must meet. So even if we were to have kept the performance standards uh, the same, we still would have been inadequate in our funding. The Thornton Commission relied on, um, in terms of full funding, the continued economic growth of the state. And it was just, we just weren't able to keep up with it. So even without raising the standards, which the state board did, we were still not funding our schools adequately. Um, so now with the increased uh, rigor and expectations for children, we um, we require a higher level of funding. And then the policies and the, and the formula is meant to make those dollars uh, to be able to use them optimally so that we're not just raising the amount of money we um, provide for public education, but we're making sure that those dollars are spent effectively. And I hear one of the big things is about teacher pay and raising um, the teacher's salary. How will that affect Frederick County teachers? Well, um, we were fortunate to be able to restructure our salary scale, uh, not just to um, provide a higher level of compensation, but to do some of the things the Kerwin uh, Commission was recommending, which was to make sure teachers were incentive to improve their practice and to professionally develop their skills and to move along that scale because of that improvement in their practice and their and their content knowledge. So we're already ahead of the game there. Um, and it will make sure that it's not just about raising dollars for teachers. It's also about working with our college and prep programs to make sure that they are providing the training that our teachers need. Lots of these programs haven't changed in decades, and our teaching certainly has. So it's about recruitment. It's about training teachers and investing in that training. It's about supporting them in the classroom with their work environment. And then it's about moving those teachers through their career so then they can help other teachers develop, go back and teach maybe in teacher prep programs so that we have a sort of continuum of, um, of uh, our teachers' ability to affect classroom teaching. We were also seeing in Frederick County a lot of teachers moving into administration uh, because um, they love teaching in the classroom, but those were where the higher uh, salaries were. We'd like, uh, the Herman Commission would really like to see master teachers compensated the same way principals are. Okay. Um, I do want to say that while we have outstanding schools in Frederick County, one of the goals of um, this initiative is to make sure that we have um, outstanding student outcomes all across the board. So we still have an achievement gap in Frederick County as well as in other counties across the state. And so we have a real need to make sure that we um, address students who may come into school less prepared. Um, so that's part of the early childhood piece. Um, and to make sure that um, every student can be successful, whether that's in preparing for a career uh, and work or preparing for higher education and work. Because at the end of the day, you want students to be able to achieve their goals and to be um, the workforce of the future. So I think if you look long term, what we're really trying to do is make sure that Maryland and our country and our community can be competitive economically. So uh, from my perspective, you know, it is about preparing the workforce for the future. Well, I'm glad you brought up the, the gap, because I hear one of the biggest criticisms of the bill is that it is not addressing the, the disparity gap between counties like or cities like Baltimore and Frederick County or Frederick County and Garrett County. For example. Well, it really does do that. Um, and so 
part of the reason why state funding is important because it's only the state that can do the wealth equalization of funding and can ensure that there's equity of funding across the state because different communities have different abilities to pay into education and they also have different student populations. Uh, Special education in our country has also never been um, fully funded and so there is a focus on special education as well in this bill. So it really is about making sure that all students can achieve and that all schools have the resources they need and that some schools may need more resources than others. So um, again, that that really is the goal of it. And uh, I think Joy can say this more eloquently than I can, but she said all of these pieces have to work together like an orchestra and that you can't just do one piece and get the outcomes. And part of the other challenge that we have had and will probably always have is, you know, our ability to pay is a reflection of the economy. And so when we had the recession, there was a lot of um, inability statewide and countywide to actually fund education at the levels that had been in the Thornton formulas. So, um, but the equity can only come from the state. So when you look at Frederick County and the salary issue with teachers, we did fund a new pay scale that we phased in over four years, but um, everybody else was doing pay scales at the same time. So you're trying to remain competitive. So sometimes that's easier said than done. If you want to elevate yourself, you have to do that. But in Frederick County, because of how the current formulas work, in my first term of the first four years, I increased funding per student in Frederick County from county dollars by $900 a student. And at the same time, the state did $114 a student. And so when you hear people say, well, we're funded at one of the lowest per pupil um, uh, commitments in the state, that is true, but it's really because of the state commitment. So the big benefit to us is to have a stronger state commitment. All right, perfect. And one of the things that also is uh, one of the components is that you mentioning that um, preparedness for school and that early childhood um, preparedness. And one of those things would be possibly universal pre-K. And I was just wondering, how is Frederick County ready to be able to implement something like a universal pre-K? Well, it's not quite universal pre-K because there's not enough spaces for every student. But... The state uh, would like us to phase in uh, pre-K spaces, and we already started doing that a couple of years ago when they, uh, the legislature made a down payment on this, the Kerwin Commission recommendations and provided money for us to expand our pre-K spaces. We did that again this year, um, and then there'll be more money as the implementation begins. And then we're also looking at um, allowing private providers to provide pre-K uh, education um, and uh, in terms of tuition on a sliding scale to the students who need uh, financial help in, in, in doing that because we don't physically have the spaces. So we're eventually hoping by the end of the rollout about 75% to 80% of kids will ch- well, families will choose four-year-old pre-K. I mean, not everybody uh, wants their children in pre-K. It's, it is a, a voluntary program. But we're hoping by then with partnership with public providers that we'll have the amount of um, pre-K spaces that we would need to fulfill the, the demand. And the other thing is alternate career paths for, for students. And we have a pretty strong career in tech program. Would that be expanded under 
Kerwin or the blueprint bill? Absolutely. There's, so there's um, expanded money because the state uh, foundation amount or the base amount that they would pay would be increased per pupil. Um, and then there's extra money for uh, career and college-ready programs, anything from um, making sure kids have rigorous like AP courses, dual enrollment programs, as well as apprenticeship and uh, CTE uh, experiences and courses. And in terms of curriculum that that kids are currently taking right now, would they see major overhaul like the Common Core when that came out? No. Um, this is really about how we deliver uh education to students and making sure they have the right resources. If students need um, extra help, uh, even if it's outside of the realm of the academic, and it could be anything like social services and and psychological services, this is money to support students so they can access the educational program. And with this, you mentioned you looked at statewide programs in different states. Is this meant to make Maryland the top education state uh, state in the country? Well, we certainly hope so, because um, education is uh, an integral part of how healthy you are as a community. So um, we are providing students and their families with the best possible education in order to make sure that their students are able to to be optimally positioned to take advantage of all the um, um, uh, opportunities that there are open to them and to prepare them to be able to make choices and have choices. And then that's going to then attract uh, eco- economic growth and businesses to the, to, the, to the area and to the state. And um, I just would like to say that the, the models of educational systems that we looked at used education and really decided that's what they were going to focus on because their their real goal was to grow their economy and to ensure that they were going to be prosperous for generations to come. And they all, um, they, what they have in common is they focused on their educational system in order to develop the biggest resource and the most valuable resource they had, and that was their people. All right, perfect. Well, now that we have a better understanding of what the bill is, I think everyone's top question is, are my taxes going to raise because of this bill? Well, in Frederick County, because we have been making a commitment to education, as I uh, stated earlier, we should be able to meet our requirements in the bill. In fact, because we have been funding education um, to the degree we have over the 10-year period, the um, amount we would need to add is $6.2 million, which is very doable over uh, that time frame. In fact, some years I've done that much in a single year. So um, I think Frederick County, from a county government standpoint, will not have that issue. I think there's a separate debate as to how the state meets its commitment. And most of this commitment is to the state um, because the state has the constitutional obligation to fund fair and equitable schools and um, public education in the state of Maryland. And so um, we really... Uh, are looking forward to the state, again, providing that equity and funding so that students can be successful. Now, the state has uh, enough funds to pay for the first three years of um, the Kerwin recommendation and the, and the phase-in that has been outlined in this 196-page bill through a multitude of funding formulas and programs. And so... Um, You'll see a lot of debate out there in this um, legislative session and maybe in the next as to what they do in the long term to uh, find funding to adequately um, meet the the funding formula demand. Now, when they funded Thornton um, back in 2002 or 2001, um, 
they relied on economic growth to pay for that. And so that worked for a number of years until the recession hit. But I do think all of our funding sources are always subject to, you know, economic good times and economic bad times. We've seen uh, income tax fluctuate up and down. And uh, during that last recession, we even saw um, property taxes decline, even though that hadn't happened for about 100 years. Um, it did happen during the last recession. So, um, you know, I don't think there's a way to prevent that broader economic impact. But um, you'll see this debate more in the state legislature than here locally. Perfect. And so for Frederick County, if a, one of the neighboring counties or one of the other counties in Maryland, like for example, Carroll, say they can't afford their uh, commitment to Kerwin, is Frederick County ever in danger of having to help a pay for other counties or having to put more in because we can afford it? No, that is really off the table. So that's not a discussion of having one county pay for the other. It's really all about the state equalizing its commitment and rising to the challenge to meet their need. Um, So you do hear that Baltimore City and Prince George's County in particular um, have uh, a challenge uh, meeting their need. There are a few rural counties that have that as well. And so the state is going to consider how... um, that's going to be handled in those uh, communities. But the vast majority of county governments are making their commitment and have funded their fair share uh, over the years. So the majority of counties do not have that heavy lift. All right, perfect. So for Frederick County residents on a state scale, um, when they look at their like state income tax, will they ex- can they expect to see that rise? Or I hear it might be through a sales tax that they're considering right now. I think there's a lot of proposals on the table, and I can't predict what they may or may not do. And again, they um, don't need to do it this session necessarily because they have uh, figured out how to pay for the first three years. Um, so you may not see any kind of legislation on the revenue side, but you could. Um, it's hard for me to tell. That's really a question for our state delegation members uh, to figure out. All right, perfect. So say this passes the uh, Maryland General Assembly. How soon would we start seeing changes from the blueprint bill? Well, you've already seen them. We've already done a lot of things um, across all school, school systems and here in Frederick County. I mean, I mentioned a couple of years ago, we expanded our, our pre-K program. Um, so there's, there's already uh, work being done. We've already um, looked at two of our most highest need schools and gotten uh, additional funding to do a needs assessment and see what other services the students at these these high need schools might uh, benefit from, um, and so you'll just you're just going to see a ramp up of a lot of those things. So um, what you I, what I hope you will see change is that public schools will be able to better meet the needs. We know what needs there are out there for our students, and we have um, been working hard to meet them. Um, what I'm hoping you'll see is that schools finally have um, the resources, uh, whether that's staff or uh, funding or materials, et cetera, that to offer the programs and services and opportunities to our students that really do meet every single need that they have. And I do think it's important that all the traditional things we know about education are still true. We still want parents to be involved. Parents are their children's best teachers. It's important for them to be engaged in their children's education so their children can be successful and for them to know what opportunities are out there for their children. 
I think, you know, as a parent of now three adult children, you know, I think it's always interesting through the high school years to figure out, you know, if you want to, what career path you might want to go down or what academic path you might want to go down. And I think sometimes that's stressful for students because they feel like they're making a choice of what they're going to do forever. But at the end of the day, we know um, our students are going to change jobs throughout the course of their working life and that they really need to be prepared broadly to problem solve and to be able to be lifelong learners. Excellent. Well, is there anything else you think we need to know about this bill? Well, just to, you know, uh, Jan mentioned that um, it's it's a policies to work in concert with each other. And they're not just focused on academic uh, um, uh, priorities and academic performance. They really are focused on the whole child so that we're meeting all kinds of needs for all of our students, depending on what they come to school with needing, and that we're able to meet those needs so that they can all be successful. Perfect. Well, Thank you so much for coming in. Um, is there anything else that you think we need to know, County Executive Gardener? I just say, you know, people should stay tuned and watch what happens at the in the state legislature this year and next, and to also um, be involved with education in Frederick County. Uh, that's what makes our schools better. All right. Well, thank you again. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, so in order to get a better view of what's happening on Ker- with Kerwin on the state level, I've asked State House and County reporter Steve Bonell to come in and join me. Um, you may have heard Steve's voice on In Session where we talk about Annapolis, but uh, this time we're bringing him on to Uncut. So Steve, welcome to Uncut. Thanks for having me. Um, and so I just spoke with Jan Gardner and Joy Schaefer about Kerwin, and they gave me a pretty good overview of everything that was going on on the county level. Um, But I'm hoping to get a little bit more of what's happening on the state where this is actually being debated. Um, So first, funding. That is what everyone's concerned about. Um, How is this bill planned to be funded for on the state level? One of the things that's being kicked around right now is from House Majority Leader Eric Lutke. And he's looking at a sales tax that would broaden kind of scope of services under that tax, would drop from 6 to 5%. So think about barbers, landscapers, beauticians, mechanics, all those things under the sales tax currently aren't taxed. But his proposal uh, is anticipated to raise about $2.6 billion by the middle of the 10-year plan. Um, And so that's being debated right now. Uh, The chair of the Frederick County delegation, Jesse Pippi, uh, has been pretty clear to me that he's not for that. Um, you know, even though it's not a property tax or an income tax increase, a sales tax increase uh, is something that he and many Republicans are kind of skeptical about right off the bat. I have uh, I've never um, been interested in raising taxes. Um, I think that Maryland has always had a significant amount of revenue that's come in, um, but yet uh, certain lawmakers um, keep introducing programs that require increasing taxes. And so um, what we know now with the Kerwin plan is that they have introduced a correlating tax increase to, to cover the cost. And that's in the billions of dollars, which I think at this point would say it may be the largest tax increase that this state has seen. Um, and I don't know if the Marylanders uh, across the state want that. I don't know if they're interested in, in, in having lawmakers raise taxes on them. Um, and I understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's for a program that some say will, will make a significant difference in education, um, but there's some debate about that. Um, and so, you know, like I said, typically, you know, in, in, I'm, I'm opposed to tax increases. So I'm, I'm, we're going to have a, a healthy conversation about that on the floor, I'm sure. 
Um, but at least now we know how they plan on paying for um, this this program. And and typically, and what we, everyone knows is it's the middle class that takes the burden of these tax increases. And so uh, whether you say it's $3 a week or this or that, at the end of the day, it's a multi-billion dollar tax increase that the, the middle class here in, in Maryland, and, the, and um, they're going to carry the burden. Many folks uh, across the state have concerns with existing funding. Where is that money going? Why is it that we've already spent record funding on education in numerous jurisdictions throughout the state, but yet we're not getting the return as in other places? And so what begs the question is, you know, have we even looked into accountability? Why would we increase spending when we don't know where the money's going to now? Um, and so I, I think there is a way to improve education. Uh, um, you know, Governor Hogan, for example, has spent record funding on education more than any previous governor in Maryland history. Um, and we've seen in certain jurisdictions, we don't know where the money's gone. And so now, you know, we're going to add additional spending um, with questionable accountability on top of that without resolving that initial question is, where's all this money been going? I know Governor Larry Hogan in a press conference last week said this would equate to just over $1,700 per household. Um, but Lukey says that it would cost about $3 a week for each citizen. So there's kind of a disagreement in terms of what the economics are and how much this would actually cost. And again, this is something that Lukey, he said repeatedly that lawmakers owe it to citizens to have these tough conversations when we're talking about such a revolutionary or potentially revolutionary in the eyes of uh, its uh, proponents, uh, education uh, revamp, I guess, which is Kerwin. All right. So let me just make sure I'm understanding this with the 5% sales tax. Basically, it would be going from 6% on everything to 5%, but you're adding in extra things that would also now be charged. That's correct. And there are still things that are exempt right now. Food and medicine is exempt. Social services are exempt. Um, uh, healthcare or health services are also exempt. And there are a few other things that uh, are also exempt. But to your point, it would just kind of broaden the services that are taxed, essentially, to try and raise that extra revenue. All right. So a lot of the Republicans, as you mentioned, are against this. Right. Are there any people who are opposing Kerwin and what it's trying to do in general? I wouldn't say straight up opposing. I caught up with House Minority Leader uh, Nick Kipke, and one of the points he kept making is that it doesn't do enough Kerwin to kind of close the gap between the best schools in the state and the worst schools in the state. Um, now, Kerwin wasn't necessarily tasked with doing that, but it is part of the, you know, issue and it is looking at, you know, how do we fund impoverished areas versus areas that are well off. So that's definitely a message that Kipke and others had in terms of closing the gap between the schools that are well off and, you know, schools I hate to pick on, but Baltimore City or other jurisdictions that aren't so well off. So that's that's one aspect that I'm sure that Kipke and other Republicans in the House and Senate are going to be keeping an eye on as this discussion about Kerwin progresses. So The way I understand it is, and not to be cliche, but all boats rise with the tide. So all boats will continue to rise. So if a school like Urbana is already doing really great, they're just going to do even better. But that would make it so that that gap will be continue because right. everything's just right. getting better. Right. And I... Another interesting thing that uh, House and Senate Republicans have both brought up is that the current climate 
of some classrooms and it kind of disrupt the behavior and whatnot. I know Senator Mike Hoff had introduced a bill that got an unfavorable report in judicial proceedings, just trying to address student behavior in the classroom. And something that Hoff and others have said is that if you don't have that right climate in the classroom, then all the changes that we're trying to make through Kerwin, you know, better teacher pay, you know, better teacher training, you know, better career votech opportunities for students, all that's going to be for naught if you still have the disruptive behavior in the classroom. Now, that's obviously one argument of many arguments that's being had about the Kerwin plan, but that's also kind of, I wouldn't say full on opposition, but kind of things that some Republicans and others would want to see in the plan that currently maybe aren't addressed as much as those people want to right now, I guess. So if I'm understanding correctly, to sum it up, there are things that are lacking in the bill that Republicans would like to see, but where the mo- biggest opposition right now is, is how to fund it. Well, yeah, the funding is like all other journalists with me down in Annapolis, how are we going to pay for this? And Lukey has made it clear also that this sales tax plan is just a plan. It's not something that's set in stone yet, but he's also got some heavy hitters on the bill with them. Maggie McIntosh, a delegate from Baltimore City. She's chair of the Appropriations Committee. She's a co-sponsor. Ann Kaiser, who's a delegate. Um, she's chair of the Ways and Means Committee. And they're, that committee is very much tasked with figuring out how to pay for things, including Kerwin. So he's got some important names on the bill, but I can't imagine, I can't imagine, you know, this discussion is going to continue for at least the next one to two weeks, maybe longer than that, because obviously funding this is one of the biggest questions surrounding Kerwin. So. And I imagine this is probably one of those bills that's going to get all the way to the very end and it's going to be one of those oh, last 100%. bills. <laughs> this is not, um, I remember uh, talking with Paul Pinsky, who's the chair of the Education, Health and Environmental Affairs uh, on the Senate side. And he told me when I sat down with him and just kind of talked with him about Kerwin that, you know, we're going to stay Saturday, Sunday, work till like midnight on weeknights, like we're going to get it done, but like, it's going to take time and it's too important of a plan to kind of rush through it. So. All right, Steve. Well, thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for having me on. So another component of this Kerwin commission is the board of education. So to talk more about what the board of education is thinking about this bill, I asked education and food reporter Katrina Pereira to join me now. So Katrina, just can you give us a little bit of an overview about what the Board of Education thinks of this massive education reform that could be possibly coming? Sure. So um, I've talked to the Board of Education in a limited fashion about this. Um, The one member, Karen Yoho, has sort of taken on the lead um, for, you know, sort of following all the policy and, and legislation that's happening. Um, but it seems to be that overall the board is in support of the bill. And have they mentioned any specific parts that they are looking forward to being implemented? Um, not necessarily, just because they know that things could change. Um, you know, things could change up until that April deadline for the legislator. Things could be amended. Things could be taken out. So for them at this point, it's really a waiting game. And they're just kind of watching to see what's going to come down the pipe. So looking at some of the core tenants, the universal pre-K, um, more teacher pay and training, and these specific things that would affect Frederick County more than others? Um, I don't think so. Um, You know, in terms of funding, at this point, the budget isn't going to be changed. Um, And even if anything is passed, it's not going to affect this year's budget. It's not going to affect any budgets until maybe two to three years out. Um, So right now, you know, it's kind of watching to see what's going to 
eventually pass. And also after that, watching to see how things are going to be regulated, how, you know, the school system and the board is going to have to report to the state that they are sort of implementing these phases and recommendations. All right. And are there any concerns about curriculum having to change as a part of Kerwin? At this point, no. Um, I'm not really sure that curriculum is a big focus of Kerwin anyways. Um, So at this point, that's not really a, a concern. All right, perfect. Anything else from the Board of Education that we should know about when it comes to Kerwin? Uh, No, I think that's it. At this point, like I said, they're just kind of watching and waiting. All right, perfect. Well, since I just happen to have you in the studio, um, I'm going to switch from this very lovely, massive uh, education reform bill (laughs) that I've been talking about and instead focus on something a little bit more fun, which is a food review. And this one's a kind of a different one I hear. Yeah, so not really a review, um, but more of a overview and highlight of what people can expect for restaurant week which is right around the corner all right well restaurant week is always exciting because it's really the best of the best when it comes to restaurants so what should we expect so restaurant week is going to be happening from march 2nd to 8th and there are 21 restaurants around the county that are participating um so if you walk into any of these 21 restaurants for lunch or dinner what you'll be presented with instead of their regular menu is their restaurant week menu which will have about three to four courses and options under each of those courses for you to choose from. So you're kind of getting to experience the entirety of the restaurant's range from appetizers to desserts for one flat price, which is awesome. And during this week, it is a little bit more expensive to maybe go out to eat. Yeah, depending on the restaurant, it's going to probably going to cost you anywhere between 20 and $40 um, or even more for, you know, the entirety of the of the menu. All right. So 21 restaurants. I know that you got to sample some. So what are some of the restaurants that are you don't want to miss this restaurant week? So um, I got to try Bella Trattoria. I got a little preview of their restaurant week menu. And the thing that really stood out to me for them was how many choices they give you. I mean, each course you have like six different options to choose from, which is not something you see a lot on restaurant week menus. It's usually maybe three items max. Um, so just the vast array of options was really nice for me. Um, and all their food was absolutely amazing. You have everything from steamed mussels to, you know, really hearty par- pasta dishes to then these really night, um, I'm sorry, nice, light and refreshing salads. Um, just a range of sort of northern Italian cuisine, which is really nice. All right, perfect. Well, what if I'm not in the mood for Italian, which is not very often? (laughs) Sure. Um, If you're looking for something a little more like fast casual, um, which is not something you usually find during restaurant week, it's usually a lot of these like, you know, white tablecloths, sit down places. Um, I recommend going to um, Chaps Pit Beef over in the Westview Shopping Center. Um, They only are doing three courses. So appetizer, entree, dessert, and their menu is a little more limited, but it's quick it's fast and the food is really good um you know if you're in the mood for more of like a barbecue sandwich type situation i highly recommend them all right any other places stand out um if you're in emmitsburg go to carriage house inn um they are offering lunch and dinner restaurant week and they have a beautiful steak on the menu they have a really good seafood chowder and french onion soup um really good options and a little bit more homey All right. And did you actually get to try all 21 restaurants? I didn't. I only tried four. 
All right. So there are plenty that you're going to probably get to see as restaurant week uh, goes on. Absolutely. Um, And if you're looking for what Katrina tried, you can read her review on Thursday's edition of the Frederick News Post in 72 hours. Katrina, thank you so much for coming in about current and also about food. Thank you. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week.